Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Business. It's just business. Hello, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to the world's most interesting finance leaders. Today, I'm speaking with Heather Dixon, CFO of Everside Health. Everside Health is one of the largest primary care providers in the US, operating more than 375 health centers in 35 states. Heather joined the company in June 2021, following roles at Aetna and Walgreens Boots Alliance. Before moving into healthcare, she held executive positions at Pepsi, American Express, and spent 11 years at PwC. We spoke about the role of finance teams in major healthcare companies, her leadership style, and why it's so important to have women in executive positions. Today's episode is brought to you by Spendesk, the all-in-one spending solution that puts finance teams in control with 100% visibility into company spend. And by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.com and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.com with any questions or feedback. Heather Dixon, welcome to CFO Yeah. Thanks so much. I am delighted to be here. It's a real pleasure to have you. And as we do in every episode, we'd love to start by having you introduce yourself and, and uh, you know, explaining your journey until today. Sure, I'd love to. I am Heather Dixon. I'm the CFO of Everside Health, and I have had uh, quite a journey to get here. I think partially from an intentional and partially from an unintentional perspective. I started where most uh, finance professionals start, or certainly a good chunk of them, with uh, one of the big audit firms. I started with uh, what's PricewaterhouseCoopers now. It was Coopers and Librand at the time that I was there. And uh, unfortunately, that shows my age just a little bit. Um, but I spent uh, just about a decade with them. I spent half of that time in their Dallas office in Texas. Uh, and then I spent the other half of that in their London office. And the London office, I uh, took a little bit of a turn in my career and decided to focus on transactions. So it was quite a lot of fun for me at that point in my career to, to really spend time traveling around mostly Europe, helping companies who were interested in entering or certainly staying in the U.S. capital markets, get into those capital markets and then meet the requirements, some cross-border transactions under the U.S. rules. So lots of fun in that space. After those 10 years, I decided to move into a company setting and sort of understand all of the ramifications and how it's different to be on the inside of a company, uh, which is very different than the view that you get when you are on the outside looking in as a consultant or an auditor, of course. I spent the first 10 years of that experience with American Express. Half of that, again, was in London and half of that was back in New York. Um, had a phenomenal experience and really took that opportunity of being somewhere for such a long period of time to uh, make some moves around the finance organization and really get to know the different pieces uh, of finance and really see what makes it tick. And so that was really interesting for me. I started in an area that was comfortable uh, for me to come into from where I had come from. And then as I got a little bit more comfortable, I started to move around the organization. I spent 10 years there, phenomenal experience, really had an excellent view of what a good, well-run ship from a finance perspective looks like. Uh, and then I took that experience and I decided to really accelerate 
where I wanted to go with my career at the time. Uh, the time was right, I felt, from a personal perspective and from a professional perspective to do it then. And that's really when I started to make my move into healthcare. I went into Aetna, and for those of you who might not know what Aetna is, it is one of the largest health insurance providers in the United States and certainly outside of the U.S. as well. Uh, Aetna uh, was, was a great place for me to really get into the health insurance or the health industry in general. And, and once I was there, I absolutely loved it. There's just a different culture and a different vibe about healthcare. And frankly, there is so much to be fixed in the healthcare industry that once I got there, I absolutely loved it. I spent uh, several years with them as their chief accounting officer, uh, went through a significant transaction. They were acquired by CVS uh, in the U.S., went through that transaction and, and really got to know both organizations, finance teams from both sides of the house. And then I went to uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., you'll know Walgreens. For those of you outside of the U.S., you'll probably know Boots. Um, spent um, some fantastic time there as well, getting a little bit deeper into the health industry. And now I am at Everside Health as the CFO uh, and am and, and absolutely loving the experience here. Smaller company, um, really a, a change maker in the industry and, and a disruptive company and, and loving every minute of it. Before we, we go deeper into Everside, because I'm keen to learn a lot about the kind of day-to-day -day and, and, and your role today, you said that you felt that the time was right to move into the health industry for you. I'm wondering, how did that manifest? What, how did you know that the time was right? Well, for me, I would say it was two things, really. Um, the first is on a personal front. I wanted to look for uh, an industry and a company instead of a home for the rest of my career where I could really focus on the culture and making sure that the company culture that I moved into was the right one for me. And what I find um, from, from a health perspective is the culture in a health company is one of caring and caring for others. And you really do empower people, you know, when in doubt to make the best decision to keep somebody healthy. And that is just a piece of the culture that permeates throughout the organization and really does make a difference whenever you think about how every part of that organization feels when you're inside of it. So for me, I was looking for a company that I could really be myself, be authentic, and really care about what I was doing and, and have an impact uh, with what I was doing. Uh, the second piece I would say is from an opportunity perspective. I was looking for an industry where there was a lot happening, a lot going on, and where I could really be part of some 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 real change strategically as that industry transitioned. And boy, uh, is there a lot going on in the health industry space. Uh, there, it has been for quite some time. There will be for a significant period of time. There is just so much about uh, the healthcare space that uh, needs fixing frankly. And I love to be part of the, the, the fix there and, and really work with the other companies in the space to really transform how we deliver healthcare. How hands-on does the finance function get to be in the kind of um, the impact that a healthcare company has on people's everyday lives? I, you know, that's a great question. And I think every company asks themselves or every part of an organization within a company says, you know, how am I contributing to the overall goal? And I would say in a healthcare mm. company, it's certainly, you know, where we are here at Everside, it's very, very specific involvement that we have. You know, every deal that goes out the door, we price very specifically for an individual client so that we make sure they get the benefit to their healthcare costs that they're looking for. 
and we make sure that it is the right pricing from an Everside perspective. And so that balance of looking for the return on investment for the client that they need and want to have to really lower their healthcare costs, that's the goal of our business and it's the goal for the client, making sure that all of that happens simultaneously with having the right pricing for our financial profile is a fine balance and uh, frankly, one that can't be done without the finance organization. So we are an absolute integral part of that. Yeah, uh, that's fascinating. What does that actually look like? Do you, uh, are you sitting side by side with, with customer care people, or I mean, virtually, obviously, um, in the modern remote world? Um, I, do you have finance team members embedded in other teams of the organization? How do you actually, from a process perspective, how do you do that? You know, it's a very collaborative environment. And I would say, you know, I am on the phone with both the sales team and the ops team at least three times a week. And that's me personally as the CFO on the phone with them talking about some of the, um, I would say, either the larger uh, transactions or or some of the, the more specific ones where we'll, we are really trying to put together a bespoke offering that will help meet the client's needs. So it doesn't have to be a large client to get my attention. It just um, needs to be any client really that we need to talk about how we can put together a compelling return on investment for them and for us. And so I, I personally am on with them many times a week. The sales team and the ops teams both, I would say, have me on speed dial, whether that's from a, an instant messaging perspective or just calling my phone. And and that's me. And my team spends even more time with them. So we are absolutely side by side with them on a daily basis, sometimes hourly. And th- I hope this isn't too direct a question, but I, I imagine there's a trade-off there between efficiency and that desire to kind of provide a bespoke package, as you just described. And at the moment, as a company, you're far more comfortable with providing those pr- bespoke packages rather than essentially creating, I don't know, a tiered pricing structure and just letting customers um, create their own pricing, essentially. What, what I would say is we have um, we put together a bespoke pricing model for each mm. client, uh, but we have what I would call a, a scalable or repeatable overall financial framework. So what, what that means, let me back up a little bit. Uh, we, we look at the economics of the client and each client varies a little bit in the terms in terms of the size of the client, the size of their overall healthcare spend and also the number of employees that those clients cover. And that's what I mean by bespoke. So you you have a a systematic process to really understand how we will consistently apply our model to serve those clients, but each client has different needs. And so we have some, some actuarial analysis and we have some financial analysis that goes into each one of those. Maybe tell us just a little more about about Everside. What is the kind of um, what are the goals of the company? What makes you different from, say, Aetna or some of the other providers that you worked with in the past? That would probably help a lot, wouldn't it? If I told you what we did, it'll help you understand some of the pricing conversations. <laughs> That's my that fault. <laughs> no problem. So uh, Everside is uh, a direct primary care provider um, as sort of a first step. But really, the goal of what we are doing is reducing the total cost of providing health care. And we are very specifically targeting a certain set of the market. Uh, in, in the U.S., um, I would say a significant portion, probably most Americans, over 100 million of them, receive their health care through their employer and through mm-hmm. their employer, very specifically, self-insured plan. 
So the employers in many cases, whether it's a large employer or a small employer, are self-insured for healthcare costs for their employee population. In the U.S. alone, it's it's very well documented that on average, the trend of healthcare spend, if nothing changes, goes up at a rate of somewhere between six and eight percent per year, just by the nature of how the healthcare system works. And so every company is looking at a pretty significant cost to begin with in their P&L and seeing this healthcare benefits line, and they're seeing it's going to go up at a pretty good whack every year. And sometimes it's going up at a higher rate than their top line. Uh, and so what they're doing is really trying to find a way to focus on bringing those costs down. Historically, what we saw uh, are some, you know, whether it be through an insured world or through just a plan design perspective, you saw companies passing some of that cost along to their employees. And so that came in the, the, the form of higher insurance plan premiums. It came in the form of higher co-payments whenever you either have a medication that you pick up or whether you go visit a doctor or have a hospital stay or a higher deductible overall. And that's how companies were trying to manage their cost of these providing these benefits. And what we're doing is saying, all you're doing is passing that cost from the company to the employee in that instance. Let us help you bring those costs down in totality. So let's just take cost out of the system, period. And that's what we do is provide direct, starting with primary care, to that employee base and their dependents who are also involved in those insurance plans. And we start with the primary care. For that population to come and visit us, it's generally free, whether that is to come and see our physicians or to come and pick up their medications. So we make sure that people get the care that they need. And for us, it's sort of a, a win, win, win. We're bringing the cost down for the clients. We are providing excellent care for people who really need it and keeping the population healthier. We're taking costs out of the overall healthcare system. And we're really providing a great experience for um, physicians who, frankly, are exhausted after a pandemic and are looking for a great place to have the next phase of their career. And how is the finance function structured? The finance function, I would say, is relatively consistent with what you would see at other um, other organizations. We have sort of the what I consider the the retrospective uh, portion of the uh, of the finance view, which means reporting the actual results. So here's what actually happened, and reporting those uh, out, and really dissecting them, and learning from what happened, and, and the analytics. Side. Then you have the forward-looking side, which is your FP&A and the analysis, uh, and looking forward and projecting the, the, the revenue targets and the budgets and the forecasts and all of those things and doing the analytics to really predict those appropriately. Uh, you have the treasury side of the function that really makes sure that the cash comes in and, and goes out on, on the right basis as it should, and then sort of all of the supporting functions within. Um, but, but really, I, I would say structured in a very normal way. I would say the one thing that, that we talked about a little bit already that's a little unique for us is we get very heavily involved in the pricing aspect uh, because it is so um, numerically driven. And and what kind of, what are the main goals or challenges for the finance team at the moment? Where are you really devoting your energy? Uh, well, let's just say I, I have a lot of energy and I am deploying a lot of it these days because my goodness, if you could Think of a unique world to be operating in, you know, whether it's it's healthcare or or any industry. Frankly, you have um, a world where you have a pandemic, uh, and certainly that affects the healthcare space um, probably a little bit more predominantly. 
the the population that we serve is typically um, sort of working class. Um, let's just say people that can't work from home. And so it's even more important mm -hmm. that we keep them healthy and we keep them at work and provide them the tools to do that. Uh, on top of all of those things, you have a highly inflationary environment, you have um, interest rates rising, you have a war, and you have um, supply chain issues. And so you take all of those things and add them together. And, and it's almost like I'm trying to, trying to figure out on a triage basis which one is going to take precedent today. Um, but th the good news is, from our, our business perspective, we are relatively insulated from several of those items. We are purely domestic here in the U.S. We um, actually are a haven for um, those, those providers that, that are looking for uh, somewhere to, to really work in a great setting uh, that, that may have been a little bit burnt out from some of the other things that have been happening in the world. Um, the inflationary impacts and certainly supply chain, you know, we are, are mostly a people business and so a little bit insulated from that as well. So we, we, we tend to, we're dealing with all of those things, but it tends to be not as urgent um, in some of those cases. But certainly for us, I would say being a high growth company, um, you know, our focus is very much on supporting the business so that we can grow the business at the clip that we want to. And frankly, meet the demand from our clients to really grow the business at a very rapid pace. Hmm. We, we, this is a, a, a topic that we're speaking about a huge amount at the moment in the, the CFO Connect community, that difference between CFOs as sort of being more risk focused or compliance focused, I suppose, CFOs and their finance teams versus helping really stimulate growth and being a partner for growth. Are there strategies that you have or are there ways that you do that regularly? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would say the the first thing is being deeply involved in the business. I think uh, long gone are the days where you could be sort of a, a corporate CFO that sat at the top of the house and looked at reports and numbers and and sort of directed traffic from there. This is definitely a, a I would I wouldn't say hands on. It's like a, every, everybody's in it together uh, to really make sure that that we drive the business forward. And and part of that, you know, maybe the size of the organization compared to some of the very large sort of Fortune twenty organizations I've worked in. Um, and part of that is just the, I would say, the dynamic nature of the industry and how quickly the markets are shifting right now. But we are, we're definitely, uh, I would say, stepping outside of the usual swim lanes. So, you know, historically in my, I've been in this this business for almost three decades now. And historically, you had a swim lane and you kind of stayed in your lane. If you were an accountant, if you were a finance person, if you were an ops person, whatever it is that you did, you stayed in that lane because that's what you did. And these days we are definitely all crossing over into lanes that that traditionally would not have fallen under our remit. And that's because we are working together very closely to make sure that we are integrated. And I have calls on a regular basis with with marketing, with ops, with sales, all of the different departments, even you know, in our organization with the medical professionals to understand the different pieces of the business so that we can put them all together in the right way and make sure we have the right packaging to our clients and make sure that we have the right support internally uh, for the business. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us.
on those calls, when, you, when you're speaking with marketing, for example, let's start with marketing, what kind of information are you giving them or, or what is the, what's the purpose of those calls? So I, I would say there's a few different things from a marketing perspective. You know, sometimes going back to your question of you know risk versus compliance versus operational. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's marketing saying, "Can we say this? <laughs> what you know? What what are we allowed to talk about externally?" So sometimes it's very compliance focused. Sometimes uh, it's mm-hmm. very much focused on, "Oh gosh, there's some really great news coming out from our you know our, our results, and and maybe that might be big client wins, maybe it might be financial results, might maybe it might be um, you know funding related, and you know what can we tell, what should we tell um, the market to really let them know the trajectory that we're on and get the right message out there, and sometimes you know it, it's funding related and, and and marketing saying, hey, we have this great idea. Um, for a campaign, and and this is the money we'd like to spend, and I'm saying, okay, what's the ROI, and and how are you going to deploy the cash? Uh, and so it it sort of it crosses the gamut of several things, but um, it really it really is a partnership with with each one of those groups. And you you mentioned earlier uh, that company culture was a big reason for choosing Everside and and for moving in the first place. I'm interested in how a CFO helps to shape and maintain the company culture. Sure thing. Um, that's a, that's a great question, actually, and and I think about uh, a couple of ways. You know, you know, first is is kind of coming back to your compliance question a little bit. Um, CFO typically is is seen as a partner in keeping 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 things uh, compliant, making sure that we meet all the necessary requirements. And there are a couple of ways you can go about that. Um, if 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 the finance organization is a partner. Uh, with a company, that's a very different tone than if the the finance organization is sort of um, policing what's being done. And I would say from a tone or a culture perspective, you know, we're here to sit with you and make sure that we all do the right thing, whether that's the right thing for the company or the client or the patient or the employee. Let's make sure we do it the right way together. And And really what I've seen, historically speaking, if you have a culture of punishing people for getting it wrong versus sitting with them and helping them get it right, what you end up with is people not telling you where they see gaps or potential gaps. And and that can really be problematic if you don't find out until afterwards because they're scared to tell you. And so so from my perspective, finance plays a big role in setting the tone uh, from that perspective. Um, The other thing I would say is, you know, finance touches pretty much every part of the organization. Um, there is there's not a, a part of the organization that doesn't have interaction with finance at some point in time. And everyone needs to understand how the company is progressing. And it really is uh, a, a conversation about how open you are and how willing you are to partner and share that sets the tone. Of, and it's not just a finance function. It really is, you know, finance is part of the team. I'm starting to get a, a real sense of your leadership style, I think. How would you describe your leadership style? I, I would say 100% authentic. What you see is what you get with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. If if um, people could see me, there's you know there's a 50/50 chance on on any uh, web call that I'm on that that people will see one of my children at least, um, and certainly sometimes mm-hmm. they'll hear my dog um, if not see them. And I think from my perspective, I am human first and and just trying to be as authentic as possible. Because that's what we all are. We're all in this together, and and certainly that comes back to a lot to the healthcare industry specifically. We are we are people working together for a common purpose, and I think you know remembering that we are individuals and people first is very very important. Um, I am I am certainly 
all about being yourself at work. Uh, I sort of have learned early on in my career that if, if you if you think about it, you go in for a, um, an interview and sometimes people will go into an interview and they'll think, gosh, what should I answer and how would they expect me to answer this question? And in my perspective, my view is that can only go wrong if that's the way you're approaching that conversation. You should approach that conversation 100% as yourself because that is the self that you will be bringing to work every day once you get there. And so if you try to mold yourself into what you think they want versus just being who you are, um, chances are you're going to end up in the wrong place. And so I try to encourage my team to be 100% themselves every day and, and they see 100% of me every day as well. Is that uh, something that you saw in the Fortune 20 or in, in the other large companies that you worked at in the past? It's not. It's obviously not really the cliche of, of massive companies. Um, so I would say that, that larger companies, certainly um, there are, they're looking for a certain role and a certain person to fill that role. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they typically have a very specific job description. And again, kind of back to staying in your lane. When you move into a smaller organization, you really do need an all-around player and and an athlete who can sort of pick things up in other areas and really lean over, lean across, and and help out in many, many ways. So I suppose to some extent um, that's true uh, from, from a larger versus smaller company perspective. I would also say probably, if I'm totally honest, it's a, it's a professional maturity um, thing. I think whenever I was younger in career, I felt like my job was to to fit the mold of what it should be. And and what's great mm. is is I had feedback along the way where people said, um, you know, early early on you get all this feedback and you have these performance reviews and they say keep doing this, stop doing this, and a lot of that focuses on what you don't know yet because you are still in the early stages of learning how to be a professional and to do your job. Um, you hit sort of a certain fulcrum point where if you if you're not good at a certain thing yet, chances are you're not going to be great at it by the time you end your career. And if you are really good at something, that's the advantage you should press, right? So so whatever it is that is your unique selling position, press it to your advantage. And so I kind of reached a point in my career where people said, that thing about you, don't ever change it. Go find a place that wants it. And that was a, a big sort of eye-opening moment. And I think from a professional maturity perspective, that was sort of a pivotal time in my career to learn how to go find my best home. Right. Uh, the challenge there, of course, is is identifying that thing within yourself, I imagine. It, it is. Um, I think I think it, it's, it certainly takes a leap of faith the first couple of times that you try to just be 100% yourself. Um, for me specifically, uh, you know, I am a working mom. I have two teenage boys. Um, and so that is my, I suppose, my first job. My second job is, is this finance gig. But for me, I think it started with getting really, really comfortable with just being a whole person in that respect and not trying too hard to separate my work and my personal life because, frankly, um, it's just not possible. <laughs> my, my, um, the, those two, those two things intersect on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, and certainly um, throughout the last couple of years, we have all learned that we need to give everyone a little bit more space to be able to mix the two. And, and I think that was probably the pivotal time in my personal life whenever I, I really learned that lesson. Think you have company cash under control? You may have a process to pay people back, but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendesk gives you one system to replace your old-fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, 
and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk. We're always delighted to, to have women CFOs on the show. We, we've, we've managed to have quite a few, but obviously the, the ratio is still not quite where we would like it. Why is it so important to have women in, in corporate finance leadership roles? Well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll start with my, my first point. I think it's important to have women in all leadership roles, um, specifically <laughs> in finance as well, because that's where I play. Uh, but I think if you, if you just start with um, just a macro perspective, and, and my, my personal point of view is that the people who lead the company should be a representative sample of those that are your customers and those that are the population that you're serving um, in a healthcare space, very specifically, you know, you have your patients by definition are going to be split from a gender perspective, and they will be split from, uh, you know, all sorts of um, cultural dynamics. And so your leadership team should represent that. And frankly, all of your employee base should represent that. I think uh, it's always important to have differing views around a table and certainly a senior executive table boards uh, as well. I think it is imminently important to have different points of view. I think if, if a company gets into groupthink where everyone uh, acts, thinks, and decides in the same way, um, I think you're in real trouble. And so I think it's important to have that diversity overall. But, but certainly, um, I think there is a leadership culture, a tone, and just a way of making decisions and leading um, that women can bring to the table and we can all learn from each other. How, how do you think we get more women at the table? I, that's a great question, and I think or to the table. Yeah. I, I think getting more women to the table includes a few things. First of all, um, you know, making space um, for for different types of personality, decision making, um, leadership styles. I think some of it's tactical. Frankly, at the lower levels in the organization, very specifically, um, it's hard if you are um, sort of any kind of a working parent, frankly. Or if you have other competing priorities, whether it's, you know, children or taking foreign language classes or whatever it is, I think we need to open our, our minds a little bit to just have a little more space to, to, to be uh, open minded more broadly. And I think that helps. I think, um, unfortunately, you know, women are, are still the primary caretakers in many aspects, whether that's, you know, the, the, old, the, the parental generation looking after sort of your elderly parents or looking after children and, and the pandemic sort of brought that back to life in a big way. Um, but, but I think what the pandemic also did was show us how we can, we can, st we can still do it. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what time we're doing it. We can work on our own terms and guess what things still get done. And also employees are absolutely engaged with you. If you just give them that little bit of space that they need um, to do what they need to do. So I, I think the first thing is, is probably tactical. I think the second is just uh, you know help, helping pull them up. You can you can look at any organization and you can see um, great um, talent that's sitting there, and sometimes they just need a little bit of encouragement. I know whenever I was starting out, uh, I mentioned a few decades ago, it was really hard to look up and see above me several levels a woman in a senior position that I wanted to emulate and that I could see myself being similar to 
whenever I got to that point in my career. I do think we now have a natural um, growth in those positions. And so the women that are sort of a few decades behind me now have a broader group to look ahead and say, well, look, look, look at all these people that look like me and act like me and have a life like I would like to have. And so just having that example, I think we will we will start to flourish um, as time passes. But it, it's really sort of reaching down, pulling them up and encouraging them along the way as well. Okay, on that note, I would like to turn to our quick fire questions with which we okay. end um, each episode. So we have four questions. Uh, you don't have to answer them particularly quickly. Um, we just call them quick fire questions. Uh, what is one finance tool you couldn't live without? And please don't say Excel. <laughs> if I, yeah, Excel has been sort of the bane of my existence. You know, it's not really specifically a finance tool. I'll answer it in two ways. The tool that I could not live without these days um, is, uh, you know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams, either one of those. And that is absolutely imperative. My team is dispersed. And as I hire new members of the team, I have the luxury of not having to have them relocate or be in a specific geography. And without those tools, I think that would not be possible. So that has really opened up the breadth of talent and really the size of the net that we can drop whenever we're looking to bring in talent. So maybe that's not a finance specific tool, but boy, do I use it a lot. Um, from a finance perspective, I would say, um, you know, those those analytical planning tools, and I, I won't name names in case I'm, I'm sort of like singling people out unfairly, but those finance analytical tools that help you really do your predictive analytics to provide accurate mm -hmm. forecasts are um, just, and, and those are like gold in my book. I, I could not live without those. If there was one part of your day-to-day -day you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? I... 100%. Um, I would out, I would get rid of completely PowerPoint if I could. I think um, it, can be, <laughs> it can be a useful tool or maybe slides in general. I think sometimes or a lot of times we're too dependent on, on PowerPoint and people say instead of picking up the phone and calling me or sort of like video chatting me, uh, we, we end up saying, look at this 10 page slide deck and let me know what you think. And the context that is lost in the personal conversation that goes around that and the dialogue um, often s creates more work than necessary. And so I, I feel like limiting those to, you know, you got, you got two pages, do it in two pages. Um, that's it. That's all you get would be uh, a very healthy change. <laughs> I love that. Um, what is the best advice you've ever received? You know, um, I'll give you one that was tactical and one that was sort of more strategic. The strategic advice that I had, I sort of mentioned earlier, was, you know, keep true to yourself, be authentic. Um, mm. Don't don't change yourself for an organization. Go find an organization that likes you just the way that you are. Um, that's that's sort of the, the the higher level advice. But but I would say I also had a piece of advice that was just um, golden uh, for me. I was this is probably the first board meeting I ever attended, and I was. So nervous. You can imagine how how nervous I was, and and so I I had sort of my my five or ten minutes of fame. I knew my you know again my slides, my five slides I was going to cover, and I had studied it, I had scripted it, I had so many notes, and I went to walk into the boardroom, and I had my computer, uh, my iPad, I think I had two phones, I had the printed materials, I had all of my notes, I had all these supporting pieces of documentation, and I looked like you know what you expect your sort of harried finance person to look like, sort of walking in with all this these armloads of things. And uh, my boss at the time, she laughed, of course, when she saw me, and she said, "Come here," and she took all of it away from me, and she said, "I will allow you to take in this notebook, and I will allow you to take in, you know, that your actual slides that you're going to be presenting." She's like, "That's it." She's like, "If you don't know it." 
off the top of your head. You don't need to be flipping through papers. You want to project confidence. And she's like, oh, by the way, you know it. You don't need all this stuff. That's your crutch. And she was right. She was absolutely right. And it made a complete difference in my confidence level and how that board perceived me. Um, and now I can see it in others whenever I see them walk into a room like that. And I, and I very, very much appreciate that very strategic advice. And finally, which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Um, anybody I can get my hands on, frankly. I, I very often uh, speak to my previous bosses. Um, I, I never miss an opportunity to connect with a previous finance leader from other companies or previous peers from other companies because I like to see what other people are doing and make sure that what we're doing at Everside uh, is is sort of cutting edge. And if there's anything to be learned, I want to learn it. I also sort of speak with all sorts of finance leaders within my own organization and make sure that I understand what they're individually doing so that we can sort of bring it together at the top of the house and make sure it makes sense. I want to make sure I'm really connected to my leaders. But I think there are organizations that you can speak to directly and and, and sort of in a, in a group here um, projected to you what is happening in the market and sort of what the what the hot moves are in the finance world, if that's even a thing. Uh, but I also like to just connect one-to-one with, with previous colleagues and previous leaders to, to see what they're doing on a one-to-one basis. Heather Dixon, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on CFO Year. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's all ours. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.